few things to uh, give you updates on, people we've been praying for. Um, so we've been praying for Professor Rebecca DeYoung. Over the course of this year, she's been um, undergoing chemotherapy, and she's now finished with the chemo. And so they're very much hoping that the testing that will happen will reveal that her cancer is completely gone. So keep praying for that. Um, Professor Bud Bauma from our biology department um, was recently diagnosed with cancer that has already metastasized. And his condition is very serious. And he's going to take, he's taking medical leave for the rest of the academic year, as some of you already know. Um, June DeBoer, who works in our academic support program, has been battling cancer again. This is um, too many times in her life, and her test results are not coming back the way we had hoped. Um, so keep her. And then we've been praying for Michael Thompson. You may remember Michael was with us fall semester, um, and his brain cancer returned, and so he stepped out of school to be uh, in treatment for that. And he got an MRI back this week that shows really good news that the chemotherapy is working. Um, this is the third time he's had this particular kind of cancer. And uh, he's actually going to be on campus for a reading recess. And so um, I told him that he had to come to Loft since he's here for that weekend. And he said, planning on it. So uh, you'll be able to see him and uh, keep praying for him. Uh, we really hope that he can come back in the fall. And then John Dieterle, as you know, had the um, arterial venal malformation in his brain that burst, and he's been having a long recovery. And his challenge right now is that he still has not regained the ability to speak. Um, so he is communicating in lots of different ways with small hand gestures and over boards and things like this. But um, it's becoming very frustrating for him and his family. And so um, please pray that that is something that's restored to him. So as I mentioned these people in prayer, I just wanted you to know who I was talking about and and their circumstances. And those are the ones we know about. And if there are other needs of the community that are on your heart, then we'll uh, lift those up through the Holy Spirit's power. Let's pray. Our God, we give you all the praise and thanks. For we are an Easter people. We are people of the resurrection. We are people who know that death does not have the final say. We give you praise because we need that hope. We need that hope for Professor Bauma and June DeBoer and Michael and Rebecca and John. Lord, we pray for each one of these, our brothers and sisters, that your resurrection power will do mighty things in them and through them. We are bold to pray for healing. We are bold to pray for healing in the face of good news, as it is for Michael and Rebecca, and increasingly for John. And we are bold to pray for good news in the face of bad news, as in for Bud and for June. Lord, these bodies of ours are so frail, and so we are vulnerable to their functioning and their not functioning. So we pray for each one of these, our brothers and sisters, to have hope beyond their incarnate bodies as they are right now. As we all live into the truth that one day we will all have resurrected bodies, bodies that no longer are under threat of cancer, under threat of illness of any kind, under threat of addiction or temptation or mental illness, 
Oh, Lord, we long for that day. So in the meantime, help us to be good stewards of these bodies that we have. Help us to be wise about eating and sleeping. Help us to be wise about getting rest if we are sick. And Lord, we pray for the restoration of all of our friends who have mono or colds or other things that are going on, that that you will allow them to get their work done and, and to do well. We thank you that we are together. We thank you that this is a space on campus where we remember what's most important. Where we remember that we are not measured by our grade point averages or our weight or how well our team is doing or whether or not we won Calvin's Got Talent. But what really matters is who we are in your presence. That we are your sons and your daughters and you love us no matter what. We need that. We need that. Thank you for loving us when we don't even love ourselves. Thank you for fighting for us when we are too tired to fight. Thank you for forgiving us when we are weary of sin. Thank you for being our God and for calling us to be your people. And as we turn now to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use this word and plant it deep in us so that it's not something we just hear, but it becomes something we live because of your power. We pray this all through Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Amen. So I invite you to turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, page 794 in your pew Bibles. This is the parable of the sower, or as some scholars call it, the parable about parables, the parable about what God is up to in the teaching ministry of Jesus. The Parable of the Sower, page 794. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told him many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grains, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Uh, then the disciples came and asked him, um, um, why, why are you uh, speaking in the parables? He answered, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. 
The reason I speak to them in perils is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them, indeed, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root but endures for only a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of the wealth choke the world word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm guessing that many of you at some point in your lives have played the game Simon Says, right? There's a leader, Simon, and that person can give commands to everybody else and they have to do them, but only if the person first says, Simon Says. So Simon Says and then the command and you all have to do it. But if they don't say Simon Says, you don't have to do it. But they can trick you and do things quickly And so they can give you a command, not say Simon says, you do the command, and then you're out of the game. Just to be sure that you've got this, I think we need to play a short game of Simon says. I get to be Simon. Simon says, everybody stand up. Simon says, everybody raise your right hand up. Raise your left hand up. Oh, sit down if you raise your left hand. Sit down if you raise your left hand up. This is a no-shame game of Simon Says, just so we're clear. No shame. Raise your left hand up. Simon Says, raise your left hand up. Simon Says, put both hands on your head. Lean to the right. Anybody? Sit down if you're leaning. Simon Says, lean to the side. This is also yoga class. Simon Says, straighten up. Simon Says, both hands up. Put him down. Oh, (laughs) Professor Nielsen. Good job. Good job. You're doing great. Simon says, put him down. Simon says, put him up. Simon says, put him down. Put him up. Good. Wow, you guys are good. Simon says, reach one hand in front of you. Touch the person in front of you, if you can reach them. Or the Lord, maybe. Maybe there, that's fine. Reach both hands in front. Oh, how are you doing? Good. Simon says, put your hands down. Simon says, put your right hand on your cheek very loudly. Blew out the sound guy's ears. Simon says, put your left hand on your cheek. 
Simon says, smile really big. <laughs> Stop smiling. Good job. <laughs> Simon says, put both hands down. Keep smiling. Oh, psych! It's the smiling so seductive. Well done, well done. Simon says, everybody raise your hands up. Everybody put your hands down. Have a seat if you put your hands down. Simon says, put your hands down. Everybody can have a seat. Ah! Simon says, everybody can have a seat. Good job. Well done. Well done. Yeah, give yourselves a hand. Well done. Now, Simon Says is a game in which your hearing is expressed in your doing. How well you listen is expressed in what you're actually living. There is no gap between the hearing and the doing. That is what the parable of the sower is all about. The parable in and of itself, not very exciting. Jesus goes out, he stands by the lakeshore, he says, hey, everybody listen up, I got something to tell you. Lean in, lean in, listen up. Okay, it's like this. There's a sower, he goes out, he sprinkles a bunch of seed, it dies, it dies, it dies. Good soil, lives. Listen to that. Boom. <laughs> and you can imagine everyone standing on the shore of the sea going, was that it? Uh, was, is, is there more like a king that goes on a journey or something? Or like his little story or something? Uh, um, Captain Obvious, we all know that. You sow seed on good soil and it grows. You sow seed on bad soil and it doesn't grow. We, we know that. Okay, let's just hang in there. Maybe he's got something else good. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. And this is why the disciples come to him, because they're like, okay, I thought we had a communications plan. That stuff in the Sermon on Mount, winning. That was great. Everybody got that. Lots of life application, lots of takeaways. People really appreciated that. Um, so what are you doing here with the parables? Because it's like, for most of us, we just, no idea what's happening. And Jesus' answer is really hard. It's really tough. He says, yeah, I, I speak that way so that they're not going to understand. That, that doesn't sound like Jesus. But he says, let me remind you of something. The prophet Isaiah, he reaches way back, and he says, the prophet Isaiah said that this thing would happen, and Isaiah experienced it himself. Now, this fall, for those of you who will still be around, and for those of you who have access to a computer, we will be studying the book of Isaiah. And we will learn that the book of Isaiah is divided into two books. The first book is generally thought of as a book of challenge or conviction or judgment, and the second book is generally thought of as a book of restoration or comfort or hope. Jesus reaches all the way back to one of the very early chapters of Isaiah, right after Isaiah gets his call. 
Isaiah stands up and he says, here I am, send me. And God says, okay, here's the deal. You're going to go and you're going to say things and no one's going to get it. You're going to try and get people to live their lives differently and they're not going to do it. You're going to say things and they're not going to understand things. You're going to show them things and they're not going to get it. Because the first half of the book of Isaiah is about judgment. You see, the people have heard the word of God again and again and again and again from prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and it has made no difference in their behavior. God says, everybody care for the poor. Nah. God says, don't intermarry with other nations. Nah. God says, honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't murder. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Yeah. You see, in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew lexicon, the word shema, which means listen up, is aligned very tightly with the word to do. In fact, sometimes it's translated similarly. To hear is to do. It's like if your roommate says to you, um, hey, um, is it your turn to wash the dishes today? They may actually be asking a question for which you have an answer of yes or no, but it's much more likely that they are saying something to you such as, it's your turn to wash the dishes and they are getting stanky in there, so get on it. They want their words to be heard, which means a behavior will result. If your professor says to you, hey, just a heads up, a reminder, your paper is due Wednesday, they're not just saying that because they love papers and they love Wednesday. <laughs> they're saying that because they want a behavioral result from you. They want the hearing of, hey, remember, your paper is due Wednesday, to result in the behavior of you handing in your paper on Wednesday. The hearing needs to translate into doing. And for generation upon generation upon generation, for the people of God, hearing has only meant hearing. It has not meant doing. And so Jesus pulls his disciples in and he says, guys, I want you to know what we're up against here. Every prophet has stood and said things that have had no impact. Now, it's really tempting for us to think about the people of Israel, the people of Judah, whom Isaiah was dealing with, and the people of Galilee who saw Jesus as a novelty, and to say, you know, well, of course they didn't really get it. You know, there was a lot going on, and they were distracted, and, you know, pagans were running all around the place. Um, but... You know, that was then, and now, look at us. Like, we, we get together and worship on a Sunday night voluntarily. Like, we got this. Do we? Jesus names three challenges to the word moving from hearing to doing. And these are not challenges where he says, you know, well, some people are pagans and they're just not going to get it. 
Every one of these is somebody who believes with zeal at some point and then flakes out. For the first one, he says, you know, the stuff that gets scattered on the path, it's like when the enemy comes, when people don't understand things. It's a cognitive issue. And this is the stuff we hear all the time, isn't it? There are things about this Christianity stuff I just don't get. I mean, there are things that just sound like fairy tales, like Jonah and a big fish and Noah and a flood. A virgin had a baby, like, I don't know. Shouldn't this stuff hold up to rational explanation? Shouldn't my reason come to bear on this? Shouldn't this stuff make a little bit more sense? And when we start thinking that way, the enemy can use that as a foothold and come swooping in and say, you are so right. This is a bunch of myths and fairy tales. You, quite honestly, you are too smart for this. So just, you know, go along to get along. But really, Christianity cannot stand up to your scrutiny. Does that sound familiar? And the second one, he talks about troubles and persecution. How many of us don't have friends or family members or how many of us in the seasons of our own lives when we are burdened with heartache or sorrow, don't we wonder about our faith? Don't we wonder about the truth of God's word? If God really loved me, why did he let my mother die? If God really cares about this whole world and he holds the whole world in his hands, why doesn't he do something about North Korea? If God really has all the power and all the love, why doesn't he cure my depression? Why doesn't he heal the cancer of everybody that we have named so far tonight? Why doesn't he restore the people that we love to health? Why is there so much pain in this world? If this is the God you believe in, if this is the God you preach, I'm out. That sounds pretty familiar too, doesn't it? And then you have the third thing, the cares of this world and wealth. Well, you know, once I graduate and my life calms down, (laughs) once I graduate and my life calms down a little bit, then I can really get invested in a church. Because right now I'm really focused on academics and trying to get into grad school, find a job. But eventually, you know, my life will calm down and then I can really get involved in a church. Right now, you know, I'm in college. I need every dollar I get my hands on. When I get to the point where I'm making money, then I can give to the church. Well, you know, the truth is, this whole Christianity stuff, it's kind of a wet blanket on this life that I want to lead. Like, I am in my 20s. This is my season. If I want to go out on a weekend night and have a few with my friends, I should be able to do that. I know there are verses about drunkenness, but, you know, come on. This is my season. This is my chance. And if I'm attracted to somebody, I should be able to act on that attraction as far as it takes me or that person will let me. Because this is, this is my season. This is my time. You know, eventually, 
I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have a kid, and I'll settle down, but this is my 20s. And that old Christian stuff, it's just kind of a wet blanket over the life I really want to live right now. That sounds familiar, too. The things that Jesus names are as old as sin itself. They were the same excuses that Isaiah heard. They were the same excuses that Jesus heard. They're the same excuses that we say. It's because the devil has no new tricks. He is not the creator. He is not the clever one. He has no new tricks, and the old tricks keep working, so he keeps using them. And it would be really tempting for us to get stuck right here in the parable. It would be really tempting for us to read this far in the parable and hear the heavy warning that Jesus gives and says, look, some people are never going to get this, and that's just, they're never going to live into it. They're going to hear it, and that's as far as it's going to get because the cares of this world and the troubles of their heart and greed and all these things are just going to choke it out. And what are you going to do? But that's not how the parable ends. You see, the parable has a promise. The parable has good news. The parable ends by saying, the one who hears the word and understands it bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Jesus is saying to his disciples, who are all going to run into resistance in their lives and ministries, he's saying to them, I want you to hear this very clearly. There are going to be people who get it. There are going to be people who go all in for the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be people that the word of God is going to hit them and blast them open from the inside, and they're going to be completely different people. And you're going to get to witness it. You're going to get to see lives transformed, disciples. You're going to get to see this. There is going to be fruit. There is going to be yield. There's going to be a multitude. There's going to be a crop. There's hope in this parable. And so there's hope for us. Because the test of the soil is not at the very beginning. The test of how the word transforms a life is seen over a lifetime. Loyalty to Jesus is born out when we run into the big questions of faith and when we run into deep pain and when we run into very trying temptations. That's when the loyalty is born out. That's when the seed goes deep. That's when in that moment. One of the things that I'll often hear from students is they'll say, particularly if they're uh, first-year students and this is kind of a new context for them, they'll say, you know, I, I came to Calvin and I came to a Christian college and I thought my faith would really grow because I hadn't been in a Christian place before, I'd been to a public school, and I was really looking forward to really growing in my faith, and it's just been hard. 
It's been really hard. It's been harder than I thought it would be to keep myself accountable or to find really good friends or to, to go deep with the Lord or find a church. Like, it's, it's been hard. And there's this idea that growing faith and difficult seasons are mutually exclusive. But what does Scripture tell us again and again and again? The growing seasons and the difficult seasons are often the same season. It's when we have the courage to say, there are things about this faith stuff I do not understand. And then we have the humility to say, I'm part of a Christian community that has been asking and answering these questions for over 2,000 years. I'm going to guess I can find somebody to talk to about this. I'm going to guess there are other people who have wondered about the fairy tale-ness of some of these stories. I'm going to guess there are other people who have asked questions about suffering and evil and pain. I'm going to guess there are people who struggle with mental health issues or eating disorders or addictions right here on this campus who also love the Lord and can help me grow even in this season of sorrow. I am going to guess there are people here who are going to show me how to live a simple life and to be less attached to the things of this world. I bet there are people right here who could help me do that. And I'm going to guess that this time of difficulty will someday be seen as a growing season. That's when the seed goes deep. That's when the seed can go deep. And the great thing about this, guys, is that this is not up to us. This is not only up to you. It's not like you grow out of your deep self-will. I'm in a difficult season. I will grow. (laughs) You see, the Holy Spirit comes along as the master gardener, and he's got the super organic high-potency pesticide to, like, get everything away, like, clear it all out. It's all the healthy versions of the pesticides. You can totally eat the things that are grown from it. And he's the one who pulls out the thorns, and he's the one who comes aside and waters you just when you need it, just enough. And he's the one who says to you, it is worth it to go all in for the kingdom. He's the one who says to you, you can do this. He's the one who says to you, this is not about you, this is about all of us. And when you start living all in for the kingdom, even in little ways, in little steps, it impacts other people. Let's say you have a chapel buddy, and you and your chapel buddy are on the other end of campus at about 9.52, and it's raining. And you've got to make your way across, and somebody says to you, are you sure? Like, don't you just want to sit here and have a cup of coffee? And you say to the person, no, we've made a commitment to each other. We're chapel buddies. We are walking through the rain to chapel. Go chapel buddies. You've made an impact on that person to think about where their commitments are and what they're doing and who their buddies are. 
And if before you come to worship on a Sunday morning or before you come to love, you say to the person you're coming with, oh, hang on just a second. I've got five bucks on my dresser and I earmarked it for the offering, so I've got to be sure to grab that so I can bring it and put it in. And that person is impacted to say, oh, that's cool. This person's made a commitment to do this. That's really great. Maybe I should think about that. Or let's say you're applying for a job for the summer or maybe for long term, and you have an interview with the employer, and you say, I want to be really clear. I really appreciate your company. I've really enjoyed the interview experience. I want to tell you, though, that I'm not going to work on Sundays because that's the day in which I worship and I rest. Well, that person's going to be impacted. Well, here's somebody who's actually taking their faith seriously. That's interesting. Now, we need to be clear that when God, through Jesus, talks about the blessing, talks about the multitude, talks about the 30, 60, 100-fold, this does not mean we will all have happy lives. The blessing does not look like everything you ever wished for will come true. That's Disney. (laughs) This is Jesus. This is about discipleship. This does not guarantee you a happy life. This guarantees you a blessed life. And in each of the examples we just looked at, each one had a cost. For the two buddies who make the choice to go to to chapel, there's a cost involved. The cost of time and investment in the worship and the cost of saying to someone else in a non-judgy way, how do we say this without putting... We actually, we, we go to chapel, we make this commitment. There's, there's a cost in all of that. And for the person who chooses to give regularly, there's a literal cost of saying, I am going to put my money in the basket rather than keeping it for myself. And for the person who's applying for a job, there's a cost. You may not get the job or you may get bad shifts. There's a cost involved in this. But here's another cool thing. When we let the word get into us and actually change our behavior, when the word, the hearing of the word translates into doing, when the listening translates into living, we actually start to long more and more for the kingdom of heaven and less and less for our own little kingdoms. So the work of the Holy Spirit gets to go and we start to count the cost a little bit less. It hurts a little bit less to give next week than it did last week. It hurts a little bit less to walk through the rain this week than it did last week. It hurts a little bit less to not get that job and to get this. It hurts a little less because the Holy Spirit is working to transform us into individuals and into a community in which the word goes deep. And that's how lives get transformed. And don't think for a minute that I am talking about the city of Grand Rapids or the world. I am. Blessed are here. Don't think for a minute that there are people on this campus, that there are people that you know, that are people who are worshiping with us tonight, either incarnately or virtually, for whom the cares of the world and the sorrow of this world and the lure of this world are a threat right now. And they need Someone. Someone to say, I'm going all in. 
Come with me. I'm going all in. Come with me. And all in doesn't also mean that you have to like quit college and join a mission trip and move to Uganda. Like, doesn't have to mean that. Going all in may actually mean that you start to do the small little habits that build into a life of discipleship. Like giving and worship and prayer and compassion and sacrifice. That's what the word looks like when it's transforming a life. It's a gradual thing, but it's a beautiful thing. He makes beautiful things out of dust. And you may think, I'm dust. My thing is dust. My efforts are dust. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. That's where I do my best work. When the word of God gets into a life, that's where I do my best work. When the word of the light, when the word of God starts to transform a college campus, that's where I do my best work. When the word of God is taken seriously and convicts people of their sin and calls them to holiness and invites them to a new way of living, which is for the kingdom of heaven and not their own kingdoms, that's where I do my best work. I don't know about you, but I need some help with this. I am not very good at doing this on my own. I need brothers and sisters who know my life and are in my life and are in my face. And I need my Jesus. I need Jesus. I need him to show me what a life transformed by the word of God looks like. And we need him to fill us up. And tonight we gather around this table and we will eat the bread and we will take the cup. And my friends, these are not just signs or symbols. They're not just a representation. We actually believe that the spirit of Jesus is here in the feast and that when we partake of the elements that he, in ways beyond our imaginations, nourishes us and strengthens us If you will, he is fertilizing and watering that seed in us. He is taking the word that is planted and transforming it so that we can go out and transform others in his name. We need our Jesus. And he says, you want to know what it looks like when the word of God transforms a life? Come around the table. Come around the table with people who used to be addicts and now are sober. Come around the table with people who are addicts and want to be sober. Come around the table with people who have eating disorders. Come around the table with people who are broken, with people who cheat, with people who lie. Come around the table and find that those lives get transformed by the power of God. Come around the table and find the nourishment you need so that the word planted deep in you transforms your life and bears fruit a hundredfold. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks that this is a parable with a promise. That the word planted deep in us over the course of a life will not only transform us but can transform others around us that there can be fruit 
that we don't even see in this lifetime, that there can be things that happen out of our actions that are all about you and what you need to do in this place. So, Lord, we pray against any scheme of the enemy that's at work in this place or in our hearts or on this campus right now that would say, this is not worthy of your time. This is not worthy of being believed. Live your own life. Be selfish. Just wait. It's not now. Instead, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon Calvin College. We pray for the Holy Spirit to take the word that is planted in each of us and to send down deep roots, roots that will bear up against the storms of life, against the heat of a scorching sun, that will not be choked out by the cares of this world, but will endure until we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so now, Lord, as we approach your table, feed us and strengthen us for the work you have called us to do. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.